Hello and welcome. I am your host, Kirsty, and this is Leadership Odysseys. We're embarking on a mission to bridge the gap between aspiration and reality, offering a raw and unfiltered exploration of the behind the scenes challenges that shape true leadership. Join us as we share stories of resilience, turning points, and authentic human experiences that remind us greatness is a product of the entire odyssey, not just the destination. Supreya Singh's extraordinary journey in the world of leadership commenced as an assistant brand manager at Procter & Gamble where she contributed to key portfolios like Pantene and Lamb's Pet Food in Australia. These early experiences laid the groundwork for her impressive career. Supreya's professional path has taken her across multiple countries, brands and retail customers in the consumer goods industry. With over two decades of experience, she has emerged as the head of Australia and New Zealand at McPherson's. Her leadership style is marked by a strong commitment to diversity, digitalization, and sustainability, which continue to drive transformative change in the consumer goods industry. Notably, she held the position of Managing Director at L'Oreal Philippines, where she made history as the first female country manager at the helm of the beauty subsidiary. As a passionate advocate for people-centric leadership, Supreya excels at balancing workplace culture with the pursuit of exceptional commercial outcomes. I am looking forward to exploring this dynamic interplay between these crucial aspects. Welcome to Leadership Odysseys, Supreya. Thank you. I do have to tell the audience that we are here at your beautiful home in one of my favourite locations on the Central Coast in New South Wales. I always like to find the opportunity to promote the coast as I think it's such a wonderful place for for people to really take that leap out of Sydney and look at moving up to the coast. Now, I met you, it would have been earlier this year through a mutual friend and it has been so wonderful to learn all about yourself and your journey. Before we kickstart, I know that you recently had a trip to the Hunter Valley and I'm very intrigued to learn all about this trip that you planned for a small group of leaders to really go on that self-discovery. Tell us all about it. Well, it's, it's, it was a long time coming. We, I have a group, a networking group of, of colleagues and we're all leaders of companies and something that you find when you're leading this kind of company is that there's nobody to talk to because you can't talk to your your people, you can't really talk about everything to your friends. And so this was an opportunity to really talk to people who are at a similar level and and delve deep and get some advice and understand where we're going. And so we had two and a half days away in the Hunter and it was a values and purpose quest. Wonderful. It's something that when you're in your mid-40s, you realise, why am I doing everything and where am I heading? And and that's, that's what we did. Oh, excellent. So did this entail a few different workshops? Was it there doing lots of walking? It was. So we stayed out in the country and we started with a real deep dive into our childhood and values so we could get really clear on our values. And then we just went on a hike by ourselves about an hour and a half where we just went out in nature and tried to think about what does that mean for me and how does that shape my journey moving forward? 
And then we came back and did some art and drew our different strengths and, and tried to come up with something that was a purpose for us moving forward that leveraged our values and our strengths and helps guide us moving forward. Wow. How incredible for all of you to go on that. And for you to organize such a purposeful adventure, I, I agree that, you know, you, you kind of go on this journey through life and then you, you kind of wake up one day and you've been on this treadmill and you, you do need to do that self-reflection of what really is important for you to be the best version of yourself. Yeah, I think I probably spent the first 15 years of my career not pausing and just running and running as fast as I could. And I think it's been really good for me probably in the last five years to to recognize the value of pausing and just stopping for a little while and looking around. Yeah, that's a, a very big lesson, I think, for so many of us that do naturally, as I said, the years just roll by so quickly. And that pause and taking that moment is actually where you really build yourself and you become the best version of yourself to have so much more to give the others around you yes. as well. And realizing that, you know, other people look very successful from the outside, but everyone has the same struggles and the same doubts. And and that was really interesting for someone like me who's probably always felt like a little bit of an imposter in in my role. I'm like one of the the few women in these roles. I didn't grow up in in Australia, and so I've always kind of felt, am I right here? And then meeting people who who you realize all have the same worries and insecurities is it's kind of liberating, yeah, refreshing, mm -hmm. and to to all know that we're all human. Yes, no absolutely. <laughs> where we have been and, and where we have come from. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, let's dive right into it. And I'm really intrigued to be able to tell our audience, who is Supreya Singh? Where does the journey begin? So it's a big question. My journey began in Fiji. So I am, we're on the coast now, but my love of nature and the ocean started from, from when I was a little girl because I, I was born in Fiji. My parents were doctors. And so I, I lived there until I was about 12 years old. And it was an absolutely amazing childhood, beaches, sports, friends, picnics, all of that sort of stuff. So a really, really lovely way to grow up. But one of my defining moments was when I was nine years old, there was a military coup in Fiji. And so that's one of the things that at the time... I didn't realize, and probably until 15 years later, I didn't realize how much it defined me, but it was a really difficult time and it ultimately led to myself and my sister moving to Australia in boarding school. Um, my parents trying to sell up the house and the business back in Fiji and moved over about three, four years later. And I think it, it made me realize that change doesn't always have to be bad. At the time, you're in the midst of a really difficult, a really difficult situation. But afterwards, I look at it and I went to a boarding school. I met amazing people. I got opportunities that I wouldn't have had otherwise. And so I feel quite fortunate to have come out of it in such a positive way. And that's pretty significant for being so young. Mm -hmm. And moving countries, going into a boarding school where it's a whole new community of people around you, I can understand in retrospect of looking back that that's a pretty pivotal moment that has probably crafted who you are today. Absolutely. And I think my life has been all about change. 
And I love change, actually. I, I look forward to it. I run towards it instead of away from it as much as possible. And then I think that when I look at how that how that impacted me, it made me feel so much more confident in myself. When there are difficult times at work or personally, I always look back and say, if nine-year-old Sapria could go through that, this is nowhere near as hard. So come on, let's just get on with it. Yeah, definitely putting things into perspective. (laughs) And it would have been pretty spectacular growing up in Fiji. Fiji personally for myself and and my family has been the, the nice little kind of treasure trove across the ocean to to get to for our family getaways as the kids have grown up. And the main reason for that has just been how incredible the people are and, you know, how caring and loving they really are. And they understand that you're taking that moment to just enjoy this beautiful family holiday. But definitely the culture over there is incredible to embrace ourselves with. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I was very fortunate to have that with and look, I had parents, my, one of my, I think most influential people in my life and people, it sounds very cliche, but it was, it was my mum. She's, yeah. she's probably the most ambitious and accomplished person that I know. She's a doctor, but she's got three or four different specialties and she just keeps going. And she taught me that I could do anything I wanted. So I never felt that there was something that I couldn't do. And that confidence is probably what helped me through some some difficult times. Yeah, definitely. That sense of someone else truly believing in you just goes leaps and bounds as well. So you're over here, mm. you've gone through boarding school, yes. finished school. What were your dreams and aspirations as you, you finished school? So I think I was very practical. I was really down to earth. So I just wanted to get a job because I needed to earn a certain amount of money so I could sponsor my parents to come over. So I was very, very practical. So I went into university. I tried to finish my degree as quickly as possible so I could I could start work. And so, yeah, very practical, got through it, applied to a couple of graduate positions and ended up at P&G, which was funny because my my rationale for why I picked P&G over the others was it was the one that had all the examples in the university textbooks. So whenever we did case studies, there was always a P&G example about this and P&G example. And I was like, well, if they're in all the textbooks, they're probably a pretty good company to work for. Definitely. And so that was really the beginning of your leadership journey as well going into there. You had uh, multiple roles while you were with P&G, didn't you? I did. I did. So I started, everyone starts as an, uh, as at the entry level at P&G. So it's completely a promote from within company. So I started as an assistant brand manager on hair care. I did that for a couple of years, then moved on to pet food, then moved into customer facing roles, and then got the opportunity to move to Singapore. That was part of the adventure, I think. It was one of the things that I put my hand up for really early saying, I want to travel. I love traveling. And what's a better way to see the world when someone's paying you to work while you you travel around the world? And so I moved to Singapore with the intent to move for about two years and then come back. I didn't even like give up my mobile phone number. I wanted to hang on to that number. I thought I'd be back in two years and didn't come back for 17. So 17 years. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I don't plan that well. 
I think that just shows saying yes to the incredible opportunities mm. that were placed in front of you and, and really diving straight into them. And maybe it is part of that reflecting back on your journey that, you know, it, it's okay to take that big leap and to give it a go. Absolutely. There's so many times where I've looked at opportunities and the question I always ask myself is, what's the worst that could happen? And usually the worst that could happen is not that bad. You just turn around and come back. And I thought about that when I moved to Singapore. What's the worst that could happen? I'll hate it and I'll come back to Australia. That's all right. At least I've had an experience. Ask myself the same question when we moved to Japan. What's the worst that could happen? Oh, I could be really bad at my job and then I'll turn around and come back. That's okay. I've lived in Japan. I've had, a, had years of having amazing food. That's all right. <laughs> Uh, I haven't been to Japan yet, and that is one place that's on the bucket list to go for the food. We've got a very big foodie family. <laughs> uh, the food is amazing. The culture's amazing. And for someone like me who is inherently very impatient, it taught me to be patient, which was a big learning on my journey. And why was that? <laughs> well, the Japanese culture is about consideration and understanding history and understanding why something is the way it is before you change it. I tend to rush into things and I always have believed that action is better than no action. So I run into things and it taught me that actually there's value in just pausing and considering different things and thinking about them and bringing other people with you on the journey versus just running head on into whatever you want to do. Yeah, I think that in itself is an incredible lesson that is for all of us to learn. I think that's wonderful. And out of Japan that you got that lesson is even better as something to really, you know, look back at your time as well. And were you still with P&G when you were over in Japan or was that where you were starting to transition then over to L'Oreal? No, I was still with P&G. Actually, it was an interesting, it was an interesting journey because I moved over there with my husband at the time. He got a role as a CFO and I really wanted to live in Japan. So I told P&G that I'm going to Tokyo. I really hope you can find me a job. And they did, which was fantastic. Uh, it was one of the best jobs I've ever had because it was leading the e-commerce channel in Japan, which is not an opportunity I would have had if I'd just gone on the regular career path. They would have moved me into marketing roles and more senior marketing roles. So taking that risk and saying, I'm going here, what have you got, was, was actually one of the best things that I think I ever did because at that time, nobody wanted to work at e-commerce. It was the tiniest channel, which really didn't make much money. Five years later, it was the sexiest channel that everyone wanted experience in. And so I look back and think, mm. it was placed as a great opportunity at the right time to really open the road and the path forward. Excellent. So you had a couple of years in Japan yeah. and then was it the Philippines? Moved back went? to Singapore for a few years after that and then moved to the Philippines. And the Philippines I moved with L'Oreal. So after 19 amazing years at PNG, I, I shifted to L'Oreal and that came with quite a lot of soul searching because that is a direct competitor. And so it's really quite hard for someone who's grown up with a company and, and felt like I belonged as part of that family to move. But at some point I realized that I'd probably made the biggest impact I could and I wanted to work 
in a country-based role where I could really have the autonomy to make differences. And the structure with L'Oreal allowed me to do that. And I also got to choose what type of country I wanted to work in. And I had two young children at that time who would, one was born in Japan, the other was born in Singapore. Both had lived in the expat bubble in very, very fortunate circumstances. And so I wanted to live in a developing country where they could see where the real world was and and how fortunate they were. And so we moved to the Philippines and it was, I think, one of the most amazing experiences. You talk about the culture in Fiji, about people being friendly and caring. The Philippines just was that on steroids. People are so happy, so optimistic, so caring. In really difficult circumstances, it's almost adverse to how fortunate they are. They're just so optimistic. And it really taught me and the kids that it doesn't matter how much material possessions you have, you can still be completely happy just being the bus driver that takes them to school every day or something like that. Yeah, wow. Well, before diving right into that next stage Mm -hmm. of your career, because it it sounds like you really had this moment from going from P&G to L'Oreal that, you know, you did do that soul searching and I'm sure there was a lot of questions and you would have taken your, you know, your community on that journey with you as well. Can we dive into a little bit of being a mum and holding these key leadership positions while also being away from the country that you you really grew up in yourself and, and doing this in, in different areas around the globe? Mm-hmm. That's a, a pretty, you know, remarkable space to to be in. And, you know, your children, yes, they've had this incredible opportunity in front of them to learn so many cultures, but for yourself as the mum and in these leadership roles, how did you balance it all with raising these two children? I think the simple answer to that is I took every piece of help that was ever offered to me. I was fortunate to be in Asia, so we had household help. I had the most amazing nanny that helped me through so much. And in fact, we still keep in touch with her. My daughter's biggest regret about moving back to Australia was that we left our best friend who was part of our family, Josie. And she keeps telling me, why couldn't she come here? It's not fair. So I took, that was amazing. I took a lot of help. I had a really supportive husband who valued my career and understood that it was equally as important as his. And so we completely shared the work. And then the other thing is I had amazing friends. And when you're living in a different country away from your family, your friends are your family and they they really stepped in, they helped. We we supported each other in ways that when when you live where you've grown up, it's it's so different because you know things, you know how to get to a supermarket, you know how to to figure out where daycare is. When you're in a new country, you don't know anything and so starting from scratch and having those friends just made the biggest difference. Yeah, huge difference definitely and being able to be vulnerable with each other that we all need 
that help. We all need that person we can call if we can't quite make it home because a meeting's gone over or, yes. you know, getting to the school and, you know, just being there sometimes for an activity, but knowing that there's another parent that's there, that's mum's coming and, you know, <laughs> they will be here. It Absolutely. is actually the simple things. It's not the big things yes. in that space. And I think the other thing is sometimes you don't realise that you shouldn't be doing something or that it's that it really was that hard. When I had my daughter, I went back to work probably two and a half months after she was born. And I remember being in airport bathrooms, pumping milk so that I could put them in the freezer bag and take it on the plane. And, and it was just what you did. Absolutely. I never thought that it was, there was anything. It's like, of course I can do this. I can do that. Why not? And then when I, you know, six months later came back and people were like, why did you do it? I was like, I didn't even consider yeah. that there was any other option. I just did it. Oh gosh, I remember those days, especially with my daughter, very much around the feeding <laughs> stage. And I'd been back at work for about six months and was still feeding. And yeah, definitely on those travel trips of being able to go, I'm sorry, I have to just, I just need to leave. <laughs> I need a private space. That's please. exactly right. I'll be back. All the things that we do. Wonderful. So you're in the Philippines. You've started in this incredible new role as the country manager mm -hmm. for L'Oreal. You're the first female that's actually stepped into a role like this. Can you share with us your journey over there? So it was one of those journeys that I think was started, it was a roller coaster. It was when I started at L'Oreal Philippines, we were ready for a transformation. It was a company that was very much makeup and cosmetic centric, and we wanted to transform it to be more skincare focused. And the reason for that, as you know, most women would know, is that you tend to be much more loyal to your skincare brands than your makeup brands. And so to build a sustainable business, we wanted to balance that focus. And skincare was more of my background. I understood it really well. So part of my journey was to try and transform that business to to being more skincare focused. What are the types of brands that could work in a developing market where the population was really young? So it's really different from Australia or even China where you're focused on anti-aging and wrinkles. The average age in the Philippines was 25 years old. So no one's worried about that. They're worrying about clear skin and oil. And it was just an amazing, like, transformation of moving from different channels because makeup was very much a department store channel versus skincare was much more online. So we did a channel shift, a category shift, and then about a year in, COVID hit. So in retrospect, thank goodness we'd started that journey moving from makeup to skincare beforehand because everybody stopped using makeup during COVID. You're wearing a mask or you're staying at home nobody used anything. So at least we had shifted a bit and skincare sales went through the roof. So that was, it was this high roller coaster, and then the business crashed during COVID. Our channels were closed. Our major channel was department stores, which shut down for almost three months. We had a big professional business of hair care through salons with L'Oreal Professional and Kerastars. That shut down as well for almost six months. Salons were closed in in the Philippines. So it was, it went from how do I drive the business to how do I keep my people safe when they're going out and they're trying to sell and we had beauty advisors in, in stores. How do we protect them? How do we make sure they're not getting sick? 
where does the duty of care start and end for employees? I think I called probably every single of one of my employees who got sick and got COVID and I spoke to them when they were in the hospital. We helped them coming through that. We helped them go home. Not all of them made it, which was one of the hardest things I've ever had to do is to, is to manage people through when someone that you work for and you work with has had such a tragedy. That is, yeah, that's really hard. And, you know, obviously everyone went through this journey of COVID. Yourself as that leader in a country that probably, well, it wouldn't have had the same resources as we've got here no. in Australia. And the, the information was so opaque. No, the numbers that were being reported were clearly not, not accurate because not, no one was getting des tested because you couldn't find tests. So it was just a working, managing your way through a lack of information and trying to make the best decision you can at the time with what you've got, knowing that it's probably, not probably, definitely not 100% accurate information. And so you'll have to change that decision in another week and change that decision, but you just had to keep inching forward. And how did you look after yourself during that time, knowing that you had to be there for so many other people that one were in your care of working for L'Oreal in the Philippines, but also their families? So it was really difficult for me. I, I relax and look after myself by doing two things. I run and I talk to people and I couldn't run because we weren't allowed outside. And I couldn't talk to people because we were stuck in our home. So it was a really difficult time for me mentally trying to work through. And to be honest, I think I just sucked it up and pulled it all inside and just said, I just need to get through it. So I probably had about nine months of being quite, I don't think I actually realized how unhappy I was until I got through that and got on that plane to come back to Australia for a, for a Christmas holiday where I actually just breathed out. And I remember when that plane landed in Sydney airport, I literally had tears running down my face, just the relief of saying, my goodness, I'm, I'm back where I feel like I can breathe again. Yeah. Wow. I'm pretty sure that moment still sticks with you where you can actually remember the, the pure feelings mm -hmm. of, you know, even probably that level of anxiousness going through your body and reflecting back on that time. Yeah. It's pretty surreal to think even, gosh, even over that, it's been years now that we've all kind of gone through that, but definitely there, there will be times within that journey for so many leaders, so many people across the world that has probably, yeah, played such a significant part in, in the people that they are today and how they stand. Yeah, it, it's it's probably the most challenging time that I've had both from a business and a leadership perspective because when you're running a business, at least in my business, I don't, I'm not a, I'm not a doctor, I'm not in healthcare, I'm not saving people's lives. I'm making them feel good, I'm building confidence, I'm making them healthier, but I'm not I've never been in, I've always told myself that if something doesn't work, I'm not saving people's lives. Like, let's just keep things in perspective. I'm, you know, this is what I do. And then when COVID hit, I did feel that sense of responsibility for, for my employees and keeping them safe. And that felt really 
heavy and and knowing that the consequences of making a wrong decision were 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 quite quite big on me so i i that was definitely really really challenging right so you're back here you're in australia you've had this incredible seven was it 17 years of yes. <laughs> traveling around the world with your career mm. And you're finally back home. You've got your two young children yeah. that haven't had time in Australia apart from holidays. Yes. What was next? Well, the best thing I think we did is move to the Central Coast because... Love that. I, <laughs> and it wasn't an easy decision because I wasn't sure that my kids would be... my. Look, my kids are mixed race, and so how would they be accepted in a community that I thought was not as diverse as Sydney? And I spent a lot of time coming up here and literally just sitting and looking at the beaches and saying, oh, there's someone that looks like me. Oh, maybe there is someone that looks like me. Maybe they'll be okay. And then when they went to the school, I realized, oh, this is, this is not what I expected. And I do think that part of it, might have been because a lot of people moved out of Sydney during COVID. And so it it just felt like we arrived and I had friends who were going through similar things to me. They'd just moved. They were trying to figure things out. And so that was, I was so lucky to have moved here. And then also to to kind of have this opportunity to work a hybrid work where I didn't have to be in Sydney all the time. And so I, I could, I felt like I was able to balance the work and the family and my health and my exercise in a way that I'd never had before. Yeah. And the Central Coast, yes, there definitely was that boom over COVID. I mm -hmm. think so many people realizing yeah. that there's this beautiful piece of the world 22 minutes down the freeway. Exactly. <laughs> But yeah, definitely, you know, I think the one thing up here and, and not wanting to roll into that too much, but definitely the community, the sense of community on the Central Coast is that, you know, everyone really is looking out for everyone. And in raising a family, there's always someone that's going to be ensuring that your children are safe and, you know, yes. well looked after the whole time. And it really is evolving as the years roll by. And it's great to see so many people from Sydney making that leap and moving to the coast, knowing that you, these days you do not need to be in an office, that Absolutely. this is a great virtual office to, to be able to have, you know, a home and be able to have all this incredible nature around you, you know, and for your children to get outdoors as well. Yeah. And I've really found this amazing, fell into actually, I don't, I take no credit for finding them. I think they found me, but this amazing group of friends who are strong women who lead, who balance, who support each other. And I'm just, I'm constantly in awe of them and we, we really do support each other. So just this Friday, I was at an assembly and I was take my daughter got an award. And so I got a text from my other friend saying, if you're at the assembly, can you take a photo of my daughter? Because I couldn't make it. I'm stuck on calls. And so that's exactly what I did for her the other day. She picked up my son from school. So there's just this this wonderful support network. And to be honest, it's something that I always had when I was overseas because you do feel like if you don't have family, you need to support each other with friends. 
I never had it in Australia before. I never had it in Sydney. But since I've moved back, and maybe it's a stage of life, but since I've moved back here, I feel like I've found those people who are as close as family, but they're your friends. Yeah, I definitely found with the Central Coast that just from everything, from from neighbours to that school community, a lot of people go, how do you do what you have done over the years? And apart from having my exceptional husband as well, that does most of the run round, definitely that sense of community up here where people have always been willing to just jump in a car and help pick up or take that extra photo or share it with you. Never had that judgment of why aren't you there or yeah. why couldn't you be there in time? It's actually just been, how can we help? How can we help you and how can we help the kids? Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me, look, I've worked my whole career in the beauty industry. And so people judge judge me in many ways, judge how I look, judge how I sound, judge how I'm quite short. So people who haven't met me in real life, they're like, every time I see them, they're, wow, you're so much shorter than I thought you'd be. And what, one of the things that I loved about the Central Coast is nobody cares. Nobody yeah. cares. I can walk into the supermarket in thongs and a singlet and nobody cares. And that's just, it's just fantastic for me because no one judges. They don't judge what I do. No one asks what I do for a job. And that is just amazing. They just, they just want to you're yeah. a person. Yeah, you're a person, exactly. <laughs> no one asks where you went to school, what do you do, where did you come from? They just accept you and I, I've found that really great. Yeah, no, you're spot on and we're very glad that you're up here on the Central Coast. So going back into your journey, every journey is marked with significant challenges and you have mentioned you've definitely faced some big challenges there, just even massive one with the global pandemic, yeah. moving around with different countries, raising children. But, you know, has there been that moment of adversity or setback for you where you really have kind of reflected on and gone, that really was a moment in time of where I had to personally build my own resilience? So there's a few, there's a couple, and one happened quite early in my career when I was still at PNG, where I was working on, on hair care and the business, I was working across four or five different countries across Southeast Asia, Australia, and the business was just not delivering. And I, I'm someone that if something's not working, I just run faster. I will be really open. I've never been the smartest person in the room, but I've always been someone who will work harder than anybody else. And so I just kept running faster and working harder and I was so exhausted. And my boss at the time took me aside and said, I'm going to take three countries off you and I'm going to get you to focus on the three biggest ones. And I felt like a complete failure. Like, wow, you've told me that I'm not doing a good job. And for someone who's defined themselves through their career as I have, I just felt like a complete failure. And so I did what I had to do. I, I focused on those countries and actually it was the best thing that he could have done for me because he showed me that you don't have to run faster all the time. Those countries turned around. The smaller ones didn't because I didn't do anything on them, but it was enough to make a difference to turn the business to say, don't spread yourself so thin and try and do everything okay. Pick the few things that you're going to do really well and do them. And but I never would have made that choice for myself because that was not how I was wired. I'm not wired to say, 
oh, I can't do that. Let me not do that and just do one of these things. And, and it took someone else to step in and say, stop. You need to just do two things and just let everything go. <laughs> and that takes a genuine leader to be able to give you that feedback mm. as well and to be able to you know, help you, even if it is almost telling you yeah. to, you've got to define those big rocks. You, you, cause yes, it, yeah. it is. It's when you're going a million miles an hour and you do, you want to be able to deliver commercially. You want mm. to ensure that culturally you're driving everything with your team, but it, we sometimes can get lost in that mix of you know, wanting that success so much to be, get to those outcomes. So that's pretty important feedback. Yeah. And has that transition of you really reflecting back on that time given you new perspective in how you lead today? Absolutely. So now one of the things I do is I'm ruthless at prioritizing. And one of the things that I do, not just in work, but also personally, is I'm a big believer in that there's only five roles in your life that you can do really well and 100%. And if there's a new role that comes off, something needs to drop off. Otherwise, the important ones won't get enough focus. So I know that I'm, I'm, a, I'm a business person, I'm a mom, I'm a friend, that's really important. I'm an athlete, that's a very important part of what I do. And hopefully I'm a good partner to my partner as well. So those are the five. And I know that when, when I had kids, that was a new role that came on top of mine and other things had to drop off. And one of the things, I used to be a very competitive tennis player for a long time. I don't think I picked up the racket for almost 10 years after I had my first, my, my first son. So that was, and I don't regret it because actually if I had, I wouldn't have been able to do what I needed to do for him. But it's one of those things that I'm just, if something comes on, something has to come off because I know I can't do a good job at more than those five things. Yeah. And it's balancing it as well. You might have more years where the social is actually, it is a priority because yeah. that's actually going to fill your bucket personally versus the career and, and being able to go, okay, well, what are those, how am I going to set myself up and, and what is really important for me? within yep. these years, but I agree that those are very big roles mm. uh, to play for everyone. Reflecting on myself, I know, you know, I'm very career driven and have, you know, as the last 10 years, it's been about our business. It's been about my career. It's been about raising mm. a family and there's so many elements. I know socially I've, you know, I, I've, I love that my friends are there and yeah. especially I might not see them for six months, but it is, you know, you have those things where you go, okay, well, this is the building years and this is what I'm really prioritizing. And, but then it is turning it into going, okay, no, that is actually now really important to have that quality of time for them as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think about, you know, we talked about friends, but they've been so pivotal for me in helping me through difficult times, but also celebrating amazing times. And so I think one of the, the things that I try and do is to make sure that I prioritise those close friends. And look, I've made friends everywhere that I've travelled. I've got friends that, you know, I, I was in a mother's group with in Japan and that, you know, I, I danced on top of bars in Singapore with <laughs> and you know, all of these different sorts of people, but we, we still get together all the time. In fact, in a month, I'm, I'm heading down to Melbourne to do Thanksgiving with one of our American friends who's bought a farm south of Melbourne. And it's just, 
I, I love that we can still do that. And I know that it's, it's more important to me than they recognize to make sure that I do that and I make the time for it. I want to take a moment to introduce you to Naturally Gluten-Free, where lifestyle meets quality. Naturally Gluten-Free is a boutique bakery committed to crafting exceptional gluten-free products that are produced with high-quality natural ingredients and free from all additives and preservatives. When you are seeking to transform your menu or source a premium gluten-free product, Naturally Gluten-Free invites you to connect with them via their website, naturallyglutenfree.com.au. Definitely is so important to celebrate the wins and to have that circle around you that you can do that with and, and really lift you up and and to also be there through those challenging times as well. But definitely that circle of friendships plays a critical part for all of us, I think, in our lives. And it is it's finding them along the way, along the journey and bringing different people in along that journey as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so for work, you've had, you know, multiple lessons that really learned along the way, but from a commercial and culture perspective as a leader how do you now balance that with your team because you've got quite a large team yes and I know you know now you're over at McPherson's as well and you know you really that culture is such a critical part but how do you really look at all the commercial versus culture side within the business well I firmly believe that you can't deliver the commercials without the people and the culture. So the people and the culture come first. And when you've got the right people who want to be at work, who have the right skills and the right tools to do their job, then the business and the results is just an outcome of that. I try and be the sort of leader, and this is something that's really important to me, is that I don't think that you have to compromise on caring and being a genuine person to deliver really strong commercial outcomes. You can be a high performance, very focused, delivering the results day after day, but still actually care about your people and and what matters to them. And that's, I try and make sure that there's not that compromise. You can do both. And if you can do both consistently, it actually delivers better commercial outcomes because you've got a team that wants to be there that goes the extra mile. And I learned that lesson from actually a mentor of mine who I met very early on in my career at PNG when I was in Australia. Um, her name was Joanne, and she was just a powerhouse of a, of a woman. She, she was smart, she was successful. But when I, when I first got the opportunity to move to Singapore, I sat down with her because I was completely torn and she was moving to Singapore. She was setting up a new business unit. She'd asked me to come and be part of it. I was 23 and I just started dating someone that I thought was going to be the most amazing love of my life, but I'd only been with him for three months. And I sat down with her and I said, what should I do? I don't know. And she looked at me and she said, you know what, you're smart. There's always going to be other jobs, but there's not going to be another chance for you to 
give this a shot with Doug, who I ended up marrying, and we were married for 15 years. So that was something that I look back on and I said, she actually cared about me, probably at the detriment of how easy it would have made her life in Singapore, where she had a team that was ready-made to come up, someone that she knew how to work with and would have been so simple. But because she did that, I probably worked 10 times harder for her than anything when I did move to Singapore and eventually two years later joined that team. And so many times people would say, what are you doing? Why are you working this hard? Why are you doing this? And I said, I can't let her down. You don't understand what she's done for me. I cannot let her down. And so there is that, that, you know, I look at her, there's so many times that I used to say in this situation, what would Joe have done? What would have been the thing that she would have done? Because I know she would have found a way to balance the commercial outcome with the caring and the genuine regard for the person. And that genuine maturity that she probably had from her own life's journey to actually know the importance of balancing that personal and professional life as well, because you really can only be the best version of yourself professionally when you personally have actually, you know, gone out there and and, and doing what you need to do. And that is through, you know, your partnership and your friendships and, and your family. So being able to guide you on that and actually set those boundaries of, you know, give it your all and put your heart into it is just fantastic. Because I agree, there probably isn't a lot of bosses that would sit down, especially for someone at such an early stage in their career and actually give that level of advice. Yeah. And she's, she's done it for me multiple times through my career. And so I think that there are there are people that kind of pause on things and say, actually, this, this really matters. This matters to this person. And I don't think that often enough we go back and tell them, did you know what a massive impact you made on my life when you did that? I think we take it at our stride. And, and with, with her, I've made it a real point to go back and say, actually, what you did then and what you did at that other time, I wouldn't be the person I am today if you hadn't done that. That's incredible. I agree that there definitely would be a lot of us that don't, you know, stop for that moment Mm. in time and actually go back and and thank those exceptional mentors that we've had on the journey. And sometimes you don't realize they're mentors for years later as well, where you actually go, oh, there is the one person that I generally look for to actually get their feedback or to get their advice before making that decision as well. Sounds like she's had a very powerful impact on your whole journey and still does. Still does, still does. I still call her up if I have a problem. We we go out for drinks maybe once every couple of months in Sydney. So she's one of those people that I've I really feel that if I could pay her back even in the tiniest way for what she would have done for me, I would I would drop everything in a second to do that. I haven't found that way yet, but I'm sure at some point she'll need me and I'll be able to help her. Absolutely she will. <laughs> <laughs> and you probably she probably you probably have given her that in just being able to tell her the impact that she's actually had mm. in your life as well. Sometimes that actual feedback back to her is is probably enough. That's true. That's true. She's very people-centric. So I think the probably the best thing for her is knowing the impact she's had on other people. It's true. Wonderful. And so cultivate that culture of that growth-orientated mindset then within your team. 
So I mentioned earlier that I'm someone who loves change. And if you had, and it's, and I, I don't just love it. I, I think that it drives better results because I've been through so much change and I've lent into it a lot because I've always found that if you go into something with the right mindset, looking for the right things, you, you find what you're looking for. And an example I'll give is when you move to a different country, there's people who look for everything that's not good with it and that's different from home. So when I first moved to Singapore, I had a lot of colleagues who would say, oh, the coffee's really bad here and the beaches aren't as good and there's all of this stuff that's not as good, which you could spend your whole time focusing on. Or you could say, I'm a two-hour flight from Thailand or Vietnam or, you know, Bali. I can go there for a weekend. I have best Asian food in the world that I can so try lots out. Lots of mud crab, chili Lots mud of crab. chili crab. <laughs> and so you just look at what is the positive and what can I what can I learn from this and what's of value in this situation? And if you look at that, then I think there's more and more that comes out of it. And so that's the way that I kind of think about that change is going to happen. You can't stop it. In fact, it's one of it's probably the only inevitable is that something's going to change. So when that happens, how do you look for what are the things that are really good about this and focus on them instead of uh, the negatives around it? And I think that's come from me having so much change in my life at, a, at an early age and knowing that it's okay, you get through it, the world doesn't stop running, it, it all happens. And, and so I think that I've lent into that a lot and that's something that I try with business and with people. So I, I tend to do roles and do really well in businesses where it needs change. There needs to be some sort of transformation. Moving into a commercial role in Japan, which was driving e-commerce as a strong channel, where in the past it was all about drugstores and pharmacy. Moving into L'Oreal in the Philippines, where it was transforming that business from a makeup and cosmetics business to a skincare business. So that that kind of pushing into change and figuring out how to make it happen, how to motivate people to come with you, what are the the systems and processes that will help people along that journey and give them the tools they need, that is a really big part of, of what I do. And for businesses as well as for people and helping them through that those big transformative moments because it is really difficult. It it's, is really difficult. Sometimes people's roles change. The 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 person who was out there selling makeup, it takes a long time for them to realize how do I sell skincare? It's completely different. So that that comes with a with a lot of change and a lot of retraining and understanding that actually I can do that. And so part of change is that uncomfortable feeling of the unknown. Mm. You, you really don't know where it's going to land. There is a level of trust yes. that has to go in that process. And and that's not just for yourself, that's for the team that you're actually placing this vision on the table mm. for, for the leadership team around you as well. That come, you know, What would you say is the key attribute for leaders coming through that, you know, are looking at more that PMO or that change management or really wanting to take a level of risk and bravery within some of the decisions they're making strategically, what would you say is a key attribute or skill that people need to build as a muscle in that space? So there's, there's two that, that come up really quickly for me. The first is being able to 
paint the picture of a future that is better than what they have right now. And and having people nod along with you when you talk about what that future could be. And it's not about numbers and it's not about sales. It's about a story about saying this is Imagine walking into work every day and feeling like this and having these sorts of people around you and having, you know, these sorts of brands. And so it's, 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 it's the why it's saying, I want to, I want to be able to describe that. And then the second thing is, is just having a really clear plan because people can have the best idea if I want to go there, but are really confused on how to get there. And so putting in place that step by step plan. And I'm a planner, right? You've never seen me go on holidays, but I have quite an agenda. I plan, (laughs) this is the flight, this is when we get off, this is the car when we get off. So I'm very, I'm a planner. So that, that painting the picture and then saying step one, step two, step three, step four, how do you get moving? Because once people get moving, momentum is a really powerful thing, but it's getting them to, to, to take take those first steps. That's really hard. And I think when it comes to a lot of that change management and strategic thinking, I always like to explain it to the team or anyone. They go, they go, how do you get from here to here? It really is that unpretty spreadsheet yes. that goes behind with the million individual steps that then <laughs> shows the value that every single person is going to be bringing to getting to that one common goal. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and and it's so right. Like I'm a big believer. I, I love Excel spreadsheets. Yeah. Uh, you put me on an Excel versus a PowerPoint any day and I'm so happy, but it's just being very, very clear on just the tiniest couple of steps. And then you feel like, oh, I'm, I'm moving. And then I can take that next one. So Priya, what does success look like for you? That's a really interesting question. And I'll answer that by going back to my values, because there's there's values that define me as a person and they have evolved over time. But the first, my first value is about belonging. It's about people accepting me for who I am and having, I've talked about friends a lot, but it's having those, those lasting relationships that grow with you and feeling like this is, these people, no matter where I am in the world, when I'm with them, I'm at home and I belong. So that's really important. The other thing for me is learning. I love learning. I love trying new things. I've done that through travel. I've done that through education. I've done that through sports and just trying different sports. And so I love learning and the opportunity for growth that comes through that. And then the third one that's really important for me is around justice and doing the right thing. And when there's a hard decision, often it's the right decision is the harder one to make, but making that that hard decision is really important. And I've seen a lot of injustice. And, and I think that comes from my time in Fiji where I went through that military coup. And it's very important for me to fairness and justice are very similar, but I think you need, I, I really need to feel like I'm doing the right thing. That matters more to me, even if it's sometimes going to be detrimental. And so what success looks like is being able to live those three things, live in a place where I feel like I belong and I'm accepted and I don't have to pretend to be someone I'm not, where I can constantly learn and grow and have opportunities to see new things and try new things. 
and then feel like I'm doing some good for the world and I'm making the right decisions and having that, that impact. And if I can do those things, I'm happy. So it really is the alignment of your core values. Yes. And so I'm going to go back to the hunter trip. Yes. And did you define what your core values actually were? So they are those three that I just Excellent. kind of took you through, belonging, justice, and learning and challenge. All right. That's, those are my, the values that, that really drive me. And I guess if I put that together in terms of in some sort of purpose, it's around using those values to help businesses and people navigate change in a way that makes that that makes things more positive and more optimistic and look that's that's one of the things i i am a genuinely very optimistic person i have by certain colleagues in the past been called pollyanna because i always <laughs> look at oh this could happen and then this will be good and this will be good and i have had a few cfos in my career say Supriya, just tone it back. Where's the risk? What's going to happen? And so that's that's fine. I surround myself with people who can pull me back because I know I tend to be very optimistic. Yeah, but you're putting the energy into it, <laughs> bringing it to fruition. Yes. Well, you've had, you really have had an incredible career filled with so much adventure as well, which I think has been, you know, probably something that you're going to really look back in the years down the track when you come to that point of going, I, I feel very fulfilled in this space and complete going, wow, look how many people around the globe that you have truly impacted in your space under your leadership, which is pretty amazing. So I am going to ask you a question I like to ask mm. everyone that comes on Leadership Odysseys. I'd like to know a few words of wisdom that we can actually pass on to the aspiring leaders or founders of tomorrow and really what are those invaluable lesson or lessons that you have gained that you would like to share? So if there's one piece of advice that I could give even myself in a, in a younger day or, or to anyone who's starting out on their journey, it would be to, to do what you want to do that is valuable for you and not what you think other people expect you to do. And I spent a long time in my career trying to prove myself to other people and doing what I thought was expected to prove myself. and it's probably only been in the last seven years where I've said, don't need to prove myself to anybody anymore. I just need to do what matters to me. Absolutely. And that has, that, that's driven some of the, the changes that I've made in terms of moving companies, moving countries, coming back to Australia, which has probably made me happier than anything else. <laughs> I actually get to see my parents. My parents get to see their grandchildren all the time. So it's, it's that, you know, being driven by what's important to you versus what you think other people expect. Yeah, there really is that comparison, isn't there, or that judgment that we all feel that we are faced with. But we, it is an important lesson to really be true to your own heart. Absolutely. And it's hard. It's really hard because the fact is we all have an ego. We all want to be successful. We all want other people to look at us and admire us. And, and so sometimes it's saying, actually, yes, I want that. But if it conflicts with what's really important for me, I need to choose that first. Probably is also all of us taking that moment to ask a lot of questions. I think that's something I know as I've gone on self-discovery journeys over the years, it really is, I go for a run, I try to at least, at least three, four times a week. 
Uh, but during that run, it really is asking the same questions. Like, why do I do what I do? Why do I love what, you know, I do? Yeah. Why is it that I am showing up as this version of myself versus something else? Why do I feel that imposter? It, it, trying to really get to that inner voice and actually hear the true answer so that yeah. we can help ourselves and then be able to help others ask those questions as well. Absolutely. Well, truly, it has been fantastic. So thank you so much for the enlightening conversation. You truly are an inspiring leader. Your insights on overcoming challenges, embracing failure, and fostering a growth-orientated mindset are invaluable. We are incredibly grateful for your time and the wisdom that you've shared today. And thank you for being part of the Leadership Odysseys podcast. And we truly wish you all the best on your continued success on your remarkable journey as a leader and as an innovator as well. So oh, thank, thank you. you. I feel like I've learned a bit about myself today as well. So that's pretty good. It's a nice outcome for both of us. <laughs> well, hopefully even for the audience to so take that time and do some self-reflection, get out there in nature yeah. and enjoy. Thanks, Supraya. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on this incredible odyssey. Until next time, lead with courage, lead with heart, and keep exploring the remarkable world of leadership. Enjoyed the journey? Hit the subscribe button, rate us, and leave a review if our stories ignited your leadership spirit. Your feedback fuels our odyssey.